sermon series starting today that will lead us through Resurrection Sunday is Son of David. And today we're going to talk about who he is. To understand who he is, we must first determine who David was. He was the king of Israel, the underdog, the one that came out of the woods, his father's least favorite. His mother was a woman of the night. He had an orphan spirit, but yet God chose him to be king. And he was a man after God's own heart. In fact, even though he was a mighty warrior, he knew how to have intimacy with God in a Psalm 91 way. He could whip you, but he could also worship him. And he was a man's man, but he knew how to get along with God. He knew how to play instruments. He knew how to dance before the Lord. Now, we know in his flesh during the old covenant, he also was intimate with some women too. He had some struggles. But when he fell and when he sinned, he knew how to cry out to God. In Psalm 51, when he made his worst mistake in the kingdom, he cried out to God, Lord, don't take the spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart, Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. So we'll begin in 2 Samuel chapter 7 today, but the main text is Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And leading up to this particular passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel, David is having a conversation, King David, with Almighty God. The conversation is about the building of the temple. We know through eschatology that Jesus is coming back to reign from a rebuilt temple. And currently that's occupied by those who don't believe in Jesus, but one day every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So David, after all of his wars and victories, is having a conversation with God. He says, God, I'm ready to build your house. I'm ready to build your temple. I'm the king. I've got the political power. I have the prosperity. And I believe I have your anointing to do it. And God says, yeah, David, that's all great, well and good, but that's really not my plan. No, sir. No, sir. My plan is for your son to build it. And David could have gotten upset. He could have taken on a millennial mindset and pouted or quit. But David said, no, let me start preparing the materials and let me get the plans up to specification so that when my son is ready to reign, he'll be able to reign with power and he'll be able to complete the task. God would even say in this passage of Scripture, he would say, listen, you're a warrior. Your son's a man of peace. You've got too much blood on your hands to rally the people to build the temple but your son is a man of peace and I'm anointing him but there was a deeper prophetic meaning going on in these words than just his natural son Solomon and for just the people of Israel this was deeper listen to what the word of God says 
when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom, my favorite theology. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy, everybody say mercy, shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. In other words, David, you're not going to build the temple, but the legacy that I'm building around you will live far beyond an earthly temple. I'm building a legacy, a spiritual legacy, that I will send my son, Jesus Christ, he will be born of a virgin. He will come in fully body and fully man, and he will heal the sick, love the sinner, turn the religious establishment upside down on its head, be crucified, get up on the third day according to scriptures, rule and reign and appear to 500 eyewitnesses for 40 days. His disciples will build a church and extend the kingdom, and thousands of years later, people will be gathered together, even in a place like East Tennessee, on a Sunday morning, worshiping the king of all kings, Jesus Christ, the man of the kingdom. I just get fired up when I mention the name Jesus. You just have to bear with me. He saved my soul. He set me free. He gets me up in the morning. He puts me to bed at night. I draw strength from his spirit. Jeremiah 23 verse 5 would say this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and in Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. And in Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to the Virgin Mary, a young teenager, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. But listen to this one. The Lord Almighty will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. So the traditional passage of Scripture that we usually teach on Palm Sunday, found in Matthew chapter 21 in verse 6, this phrase is mentioned as Jesus enters in on the colt. The disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They found the colt. They brought the donkey. They laid their clothes on the donkey, set him on them. And a very multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, Who is this? Who is this son of David? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So 17 times in the new covenant, he's referred to as the son of David. Although David lived over a thousand years before he was even born. As we look in Matthew chapter 1, we see the genealogy of Jesus and how he came to be. So many close calls, so many death warrants, so many sinful people and underdogs, but yet our Savior, the God-man, came from that line. Luke 3 traces his lineage through his mother Mary. His bloodline connected him to King David, not only naturally, but legally and also spiritually. Jesus Christ would come to fulfill all mentioned of David. Deuteronomy 10 verse 18, he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, the New Testament church epistle about what the local church should be, the mission of the local church, who's in charge of the church, how to armor up all of this in the church epistle. It says, just as he chose us in him, the son of David, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined, that word predestined in the Greek means to set forth a path. In other words, I don't fully buy in to the doctrine of predestination. I couldn't evangelize if I did, if I thought everything was set in motion and you couldn't do anything about a lost person with the gospel. But I do believe in some forms of predestination. In other words, I believe the creator of the world sets forth a path for every person born of flesh. But that person has to make a decision to get in on the path that God has for them. We are not robots. When Adam and Eve stepped down from their privilege into humanity, we were given a free will. And so we get to choose Jesus by way of a free will. We get to serve Jesus by way of a free will. We get to love Jesus by way of a free will. He could have made us robots, but he would have never felt authentic love if we were robots. We have the freedom now to worship him and to love him and to serve him and give him all the praise because he is worthy. So who is he? The son of David. First, he's a messianic messiah. He's a messianic messiah. Understand that Jesus is for everyone, every race, every creed. Galatians says that we are one. We are all connected through the blood of Jesus. That's why racism is a sin. That's why judgmentalism is a sin. However, make no mistake about it, we are not to forsake the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and Jewish teachings because there is much to learn and receive from the Holy Spirit through our Jewish roots. He was a Messianic Messiah. That word Messiah means a long-awaited deliverer, particularly for the Jewish people. The Jewish people were looking for a political king, very much like we 
uh, as Americans, we believe that every four years we're going to elect someone that's going to change the world. And four years later, you know, not much has changed. Perhaps the stock market, perhaps the economy, perhaps this, perhaps that. But they were looking, when they were talking of a kingdom, they didn't know what we know as kingdom people. They were looking for a temporary political leader. He was a messianic messiah, but he was more than a political king. He was the king of the world. He was the king of every person, every born, past, present. He is the king of the Jews. He's the king of the Gentiles. He's the king of people that hate him. He is the king of all kings. Colossians says he's the firstborn over all creation. The first fruits of our salvation and resurrection is Jesus Christ. He was more than a prophet. Other religions will say, oh, he was a, he was a prophet. No, he wasn't a prophet. He's the prince of peace. He wasn't one of many. He was the one and only. Jesus, king of kings and Lord of lords. He is more than just a Jew. Coming from the line he has a little bit of everybody in him because his heavenly father's DNA includes all of us. All of us. So he was for everybody, not just one race, not just one social class. Jesus was for everybody. The Bible says in Matthew that if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, we ask God for things that may not be in alignment with his will, but I can promise you this according to the word. If you want more of the Spirit, he'll pour it out on you. If you know him, you have as much Spirit as you want to have. He's more than enough. He's more than a conqueror. He's more than what meets the eye. If you embrace him, your life will change, your spirit will change, and he will walk with you and talk with you, and he will forgive you when you blow it and when you fall short. He was a messianic Messiah. Number two, he was a fulfillment of prophecy. I don't have time to go through all 300 plus of them. The prophetic words about a Savior being born in Bethlehem or the 3,000 promises he gave after he was born through the writings of Scripture. But I will tell you this, the Old Covenant said he would be a promised seed coming from the line of David, that he would be virgin-born, that he would come from Bethlehem, that he would be a miracle worker. And let me say this, he is still a miracle worker. He is still the great physician. He can still heal you. He can do it. He can do it. It was prophesied that he would be crucified and he would hang on a tree, and he did. He was crucified and mocked, and they put a crown of thorns on his head, and they gambled over his clothes, not because they were bored, because his clothes were very expensive. It was a master carpenter suit he wore. And those Roman soldiers wanted his clothes. He was be raised from the dead on the third day. The veil would be torn. And we would all have access into the holy of holies. Every creed, every race, every nation, because of Jesus and the resurrection, we have access. But most of all, he's a sinner's savior. He would come for the least, the last, and the lost. He would come 
for those on the outskirts of religion, on the outskirts of politics, on the outskirts of society, those that people have forgotten about, those that people would write off and say they'll never amount to anything, they'll never be anything, Jesus Christ came for the least. And let me tell you, I love Jesus for a myriad of reasons. But one of the reasons I love Jesus the most is because when I was nothing, he told me I was something. When I wanted to die, he gave me life. When I was unlovable, he loved me. When I had been forgotten about, talked about, lied about, Jesus came and sent peace into my soul. And if you're at your worst, he's at his best. And you may have nowhere to turn like I did some 20 years ago, but I promise you, if you're at your end, it's just the beginning with Jesus. He's not only a messianic Messiah and a fulfillment of prophecy, he was the ultimate underdog. The ultimate underdog. When he was born, the king issued a death warrant out on the firstborn. This happened repeatedly. He had to go to Egypt and hide from all the political upheaval with his family. But if you go back through his lineage first, his lineage from Matthew chapter 1 will prove that he was an underdog. Look at all the murderers, the liars, the deceitful people, the women of the night, Bathsheba, Rahab, Tamar. These aren't your Sunday morning people. But yet, through that line would come our Savior. Isn't that good? Through that line would come the ultimate underdog, the one who gives hope to the hurting and peace to the troubled, his lineage. Then comes David, a man after God's own heart, but a man governed by his flesh. How about Solomon, a thousand wives and 400 girlfriends? That's enough to kill you right there. Lord Jesus, help us all. My point to you today is you are not too far gone. God has not given up on you. You are not beyond the love of Jesus. If he'll use a troubled and dysfunctional line to bring his son, he can change your family line, your DNA, and he can make you a person of faith, and he can promote you, and he can use you in ways you never thought you could be used. But you must surrender to him. The ultimate underdog will make you an underdog that achieves. He's the ultimate underdog, not just his lineage, but the life he lived. He knew no sin, but became sin for us. Our sins are what crucified this Savior. He died for us. He, he fulfilled every Hebraic prophecy on that cross for us. He knew we couldn't measure up, so he measured up for us. His blood goes on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. It's a payment that was paid in full. He said on the cross to Telestai, it is finished. That word had multiple meanings. To Telestai, it is finished. Your addiction is finished. Your struggle is finished. Your past is finished. Amen? It was also a military word that the general would scream out because he would give different people 
in the battalion assignments, but he wouldn't share those assignments with the other leaders of the battalion. And so when he would yell to Telestai, everybody would do what they were supposed to do, and they would end up defeating their adversaries because the king yelled, it is finished. So when Jesus said that, it was an alert to every devil in hell that his angels and that his generation that was rising would take back the kingdom and that the devil would never reign fully again. To tell us, stop. He's the ultimate underdog, so his lineage, his life, his love. God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you knowing you were a mess. He, he loves you knowing you don't measure up. He loves you when you're unlovable. He loves you when you don't look like much. He loves you when you don't feel good. He loves you when you blow it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Gospel of John would say in 15, greater love hath no man than this than he lay down his life for his friends. See, a lot of people love to throw around the term best friend and a lot of people love to say, I love you, I love you, especially in church, love you, brother, love you, brother. But let me tell you, real love is sacrificial. Real, real love is being willing to die for what you believe in or die so that someone else might live. Greater love. And what about his language? What about the things he said, the parables he spoke that would convict the religious and convict the sinner all at the same time? It would literally Challenge the mindsets of everyone, the political leaders, the spiritual leaders, multiple races, the things he said, the parables he told, the lost son, the lost sheep, the lost coin, things that would challenge everyone, everywhere, the wisdom that came from his lips. What about the commandments? What about how he shifted, shifted grace from a thing of our actions on the outside to what's in our heart? Oh, yeah, we can convict you of this sin, but now if you even thought about it, you're just as guilty as the person that did it. So now we are all without excuse because you may have done it, but you thought about it and you're both guilty. But because of the blood of Jesus, you are not guilty. Because you've been justified by way of faith, you've been found in God's heavenly court not guilty because Jesus paid the price for your sins. He's not only a God of love, he is hope for the hurting. There are two times where people cried out to Jesus for healing by using the name Son of David. Matthew 15, the demonized daughter is healed after crying out in faith, Son of David. This is what it says. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan. Now, this was the cursed line. Understand that first. From that region cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. How many of you have ever had that? Jesus answered you not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Get this nut away from us, Jesus. Not really. The Bible says, send her away, for she cries out after us. But you could see that. Jesus, this chick's crazy. Get her out of here. I mean, that's what they said. 
She's nuts. But he answered and said something profound. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, you're really not the reason I came. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. In other words, are you serious about what you want me to do? In other words, I've dealt with your family before. I've dealt with your lineage before. And you aren't people of faith. But yet you cry out to me a Savior for a miracle. I don't know if you really want a miracle. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And with that one statement, the Savior was provoked to do the miraculous. Sometimes as you're praying, the Lord will give you something in your spirit, and you need to ask God in the way that the Spirit provoked you. That's what this lady did. Then Jesus answered her and said to her, A woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed that very hour. Faith moves God's heart. Faith moves God's hand. And crying out, Son of David, provoked this miracle. There was another one where two blind men would receive their sight. They went out from Jericho. A great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? What if Jesus is asking you that question today? What is it that you want me to do for you? Maybe Jesus is asking you that very question this morning. What is it you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them. He had compassion on them and touched their eyes and they received their sight and check this out, they followed him. You see, some people have received a miracle from Jesus but have responded by not following him. I've seen it time and time again. Lord, get my son out of jail. Lord, get my daughter off drugs. Lord, do this for me. Lord, get me this job. Lord, use someone in the church to help me get out of poverty and to give me an opportunity to walk in kingdom and God provides it and then six months later the person crying out to the son of David is nowhere to be found you can't find them in church you don't see them helping people in the community you don't see them worshiping treating Jesus like a lottery instead of a savior and I'm telling you this morning God knows our heart. If he's done something for you this morning, the only response is to follow him. And the Bible teaches us in Mark 8 how to do that. Deny ourselves. Pick up our cross and follow him. In other words, if you're going to follow him, it may lead you into some strange places. You may go through some difficult times. You may face unfair criticism. 
demons may attack when you enter into a new region, but the blessing of God will be worth it in the end. The crowns in heaven will be worth it when you get to the finish line. When you finish the race and finish your work in the field, there'll be a Savior, Son of David, saying to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He was not only a healer, he was a rebellious radical. Second thing I love about him the most. First is his love for underdogs. The second of these five, I love the fact that Jesus irritated the religious people. I love it. The only time he got upset was with hypocrites and religious people. He turned religious people on top of their own heads, calling them hypocrites and a brood of vipers and turning tables over in the temple and challenging their hypocrisy and challenging the Pharisees for forcing their rules on other people when behind the scenes they weren't living by the rules they were forcing on God's people. Jesus was not a religious person. He didn't come here to be a Baptist, Church of God, Methodist, Catholic. He came here to represent a kingdom that could never be shaken, a kingdom and a political form of government along with a spiritual form of government that comes from heaven, eternity. He shook everything up. He was a rebellious radical. That's what they called him. They said he was a maniac. I remember hearing a great theologian say he was either, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. You can't take parts of Jesus and not take all of Jesus. He, he was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. I know he's Adonai Lord. I know he is preeminent above all. The Pharisees were blind to who he was. This is how blind they were. They were supposed to be scholars, and when people would cry out, Son of David, even during his triumphal entry, they weren't even offended by that because they didn't have the wisdom from God to know what it meant. They weren't even offended by that. Luke 19 teaches us that Jesus was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, those people sought to destroy him for his kingdom message. He challenged them on his authority by using the Son of David title because by using that title, it elevated himself politically even as a trained rabbi above them. Is anybody with me? By connecting himself with their earthly hero, it put him into a position where he was ranked higher than they were. So even if they called him names, he was still above them politically because of this title, but spiritually because of who his real daddy was. He challenged them on their hypocrisy and racism. He challenged them on their hidden agenda. Religion, as I've taught you many times, is a spirit of control, and it is a spirit that wants to choke the life out of you. There's nothing wrong with the morality we find in religion, with the great rituals upheld by scriptures, but a spirit of religion is different than religion. A spirit of religion is a demonic spirit, and it divides people instead of bringing people together. He was number six preeminent in his deity. In other words, he was above all. He was the ultimate authority. The word Lord, as I've taught you, is Adonai. He was a person of all, 
and wonder. He was a person that would give us access and entryway into this other kingdom and into a relationship with Abba Father. This is who Jesus was. He was and is more than the product of his bloodline or earthly lineage. And so are you. You are more than your bloodline and earthly lineage this morning. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You have the wisdom and the gifts to do what God puts in your heart to do. Quit arguing with the creator of the world. Embrace your sonship. Embrace your daughtership. Embrace the fact that God teaches us that we are heirs to his throne. We are heirs to the throne. In other words, everything he has, we have access to. Can I get an amen? It's all ours if we will access it by way of the Spirit. You are more because of Jesus. He was David's authority. See, he was referred to as the son of David, but he was over David. See, Solomon was a picture of how the kingdom works. David should have gotten to build the temple. But God cares about legacy and generation. So Solomon did it and reigned. And that was just a picture of what Jesus would do for us. We didn't get what we deserved. We got favor and grace we didn't earn. Hallelujah. Because of Jesus. He was preeminent above all. And I close here this morning. The son of David, he's most definitely a soon-coming king. He's coming back for his church. He's coming back for his children. And where we see his name written at the end is in Revelation chapter 22. And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Here it is. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. There's that word again. I am the root and the offspring of David. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Jesus would say, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. This soon coming king is a sovereign king. The first time he came on a donkey and they hailed him, but later they nailed him. This time he's not coming on a donkey. This time he's coming on a white horse dressed in fine linen and all of us who've been raptured or raised with him, we're coming with him. And we're going to be wearing fine linen as well. We're going to be robed with him. But he's not coming as a little baby in a manger or entering into Jerusalem on a colt. He's coming on a white horse. And he's coming back to take his vengeance on every demonic person or spirit that's ever hindered his church, his spirit, his Bible. He's coming back. This time to make things right once and for all.
And those of us that know him and know his name will get to rule and reign. Those of us that have loved him and cried to him and walked with him will get to reign with him where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more addiction, no more diabetes, no more cancer, no more gossip, no more warfare. Place where the streets are paved with gold and the gates of pearl. We'll have our own abode, our own mansion there. We'll have our purpose there. We won't be flying around on a cloud. We'll be taking back his land. That's what we'll be doing. And we'll be worshiping the son of David who sits on the throne. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Does he sit on the throne of your heart this morning? I know we've got a faithful crowd in here today. But I just wonder if Jesus is the Lord of your life this morning. I believe, according to Scripture, that salvation is not something you simply pray for. The Bible says we're to repent if we're to have the kingdom. What does repent mean? To change your mind, to turn from. Saying a prayer is great, but meaning what you pray is better. And when you mean what you pray, you won't be a perfect angel with wings, but you'll turn from your sin. You'll trust the Holy Spirit to lead you and transform you over a period of time, and you'll make Jesus the Lord of your life. And you'll do that by confessing your sins, believing in Him and His resurrection, and receiving His grace, His unmerited favor. Eternity is too long to be wrong. And I would just ask anyone in this room, if you don't know Jesus or you're watching online, and if you died today, you don't know whether you'd go to heaven or to hell. I believe today could be your day. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask my pastors to make their way down front. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, if you don't know Jesus, you're not sure that you're saved. Maybe God's calling you to be baptized the first Sunday of April like so many others have asked to be. But you've never really made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never really put him first. Won't you pray this prayer with me? Abba's house, help me. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. Now, if you prayed that prayer, let me tell you what the Bible says. Everybody just keep your head down for a minute. The Bible says if you will not confess Jesus in front of your peers, that Jesus will not confess you in front of the Father. The Son of David will be ashamed of you if you're ashamed of him. So salvation and baptism is your opportunity to say Jesus is the Lord of my life. And I want to make a public confession to him because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you prayed that and you meant it, you need to come tell one of these pastors today, I prayed to receive Jesus. I want to be baptized. I want to join the church. I believe it's a divine day for someone not only in this house, but on their phone or in their home. You let us know. Now, many of you today, you, you know Jesus, and I'm grateful for that. But I want to remind you of our mission, and that is to extend grace. 
People need to hear the gospel. They need to hear your story. People need to be invited to church. People need for you to invest in their lives. And I just challenge you between now and Easter, invest in other people, invite other people, share your faith. You don't have to be perfect. Just talk about the love of Jesus. And I wanna pray for you to have the authority to do that. Would you stand on your feet? I'm gonna pray and then if you need prayer, if you prayed with me to receive Christ, if you need a miracle in your life, you come down and receive the anointing. But Heavenly Father, I pray that we would live out the mission you've given us to experience kingdom, to extend grace, and to equip your people. Lord, I ask for your supernatural and wonderful anointing to fall on this house. Transform us into soul winners and people of purpose. Lord, teach us the kingdom. Teach us to believe it, walk in it, not just on Sunday mornings, but Monday through Sunday. Lord, that we would walk in power and in anointing. Lord, I bless the people of this place. If they need healing, heal them. If they need power, fill them. If they need grace, comfort them. If they need love, spiritually hug them this morning and let them know you haven't given up on them. In Jesus' name. We pray and we submit to you, Father, and we yield to you. You come if you need ministry this morning.